Welcome to Key 3 Educators, helping you excel as a Christian school leader, educator, or homeschooler as you outfit students to learn themselves, love God, and live connected. Here's your host, Stephanie Smith. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Key 3 Educators. We have special guests, Chris and Christine Stegall, who are the host of the Making the Leap podcast. And we're definitely going to have time to talk about that later in this episode. But for now, Chris and Christine, would you just introduce us to you and tell us a little bit about yourselves and your family? Sure. Thank you so much for having us on with you. We've been looking forward to this. Short answer, we were a couple of parents that recognized that what was happening in schools was not good for our kids during the time of COVID. Before then as well, if we're you know really honest and taking a look at what we saw working and not working with with all three of our kids at different at different points. And so we decided to pull our youngest, who is now in eighth grade, we pulled her out of public schools when we made a move from Pennsylvania to Missouri. And we decided that we were going to go ahead and take a look at what options we had for her since she had the most time left in school. So we moved her from a public school into a private school setting. Um, We decided to leave our two oldest sons in school where they were at. It was a smaller school as well for them coming from a pretty big suburban area, going to a more smaller town. Um, And we we just kind of wanted to, we were asking them already to do a lot of shifting and changing when we moved across the country. So we we did what I hope parents do and kind of look at what each kid need, needs individually. Left the two of them in one school, moved her to another, and just trying to kind of navigate the the changes that come along with that kind of a move. And so that's that's kind of the short the short version of of who we are as parents within a Christian education setting. Okay. Well, you made some very significant changes. It wasn't just moving across the country and it wasn't just changing schools. I mean, you, you had, a, you packed a lot in there all at once, right? <laughs> so, yeah, um, so it, it wasn't, uh, I won't, it would be less than honest if, if we were telling you that it was wholly intentional. Uh, it, it, it was for us sort of a God thing, I think, where, uh, something that was really quite negative. COVID was negative for everyone, obviously. We were in a part of the country that was very aggressive with lockdowns and keeping kids out of school and uh, even out of our church. And um, as that progressed and went on after a calendar year and 18 months, it really became, uh, it, it went from all of us felt concerned about COVID to this doesn't feel human anymore. This is starting to feel really problematic. And Christine started leading our kids at home from behind computer screens, as well as a couple of other kids. She didn't particularly like what she heard. There seemed to be no urgency to get the kids back in school. And for the first time, it really caused me anyway, and I think she says the same, caused us to really kind of look at ourselves and say, what are we doing? Uh, You know, and if these people's priority isn't getting these kids back in school, it sure should be our priority (laughs) if it's not theirs. And I, I think it's the first time we really seriously started considering that maybe the people that are in charge of public education aren't always necessarily thinking about the kids first. That's not to say everyone, but in this situation, it felt that. Was it more a matter of, did did it begin with the sense of there doesn't seem to be this urgency of getting kids back into school? I know other parents have also became aware of the content of what was going on in their classrooms and in their schools for the first time, really during COVID. 
So was it a combination of those or was it one thing that kind of led to you investigating something further and something further? Because you could have just said, okay, we just want to switch schools, you know, someplace where there is more of an urgency. So what propelled you to choose then um, a specific form of Christian education? I think it was a kind of a couple of things. We, I definitely, the urgency was a problem for me. I have kids who they don't, they're just, they just weren't going to thrive. For sure, a couple of mine aren't huge, big lovers of school. So it wasn't as if I felt like they're only going to be the best they can be inside school, but it was more of, you know, school districts have been telling us for years and something obviously we all know as parents sitting behind screens constantly is not good for them. It's not good for their brain development. It's not good for their sleep patterns, you know, all those things. So part of the urgency was, I, I don't want to keep sticking them beside a, a situation that you've been telling us is terrible for, you know, you don't want them on phones outside of school, but it's still, it's okay to be in school on computers. That didn't make sense to me. So that was a little bit of the urgency. But as we started listening and talking about the mentality shift that I know had been happening beforehand, but the shift of the school feeling like they knew what was best for our life for our family, for our children was really problematic for me because as far as I'm concerned, we are the primary decision makers. We are the ones who are in charge of what is best for our kids. And I'm always, always willing and happy and able to partner with teachers. But I felt like there was this just this little shift in the, no, 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 we know what's best and you're going to follow our lead. And because of that, we were hearing the teacher's share their points of view on, you know, no, no, you should all be safe at home. You should be behind masks. You should be doing this and telling kids things that were contrary to what we believed. We did not want to encourage a whole spirit of fear, which seemed to be part of what was coming from the school system. Um, And then in addition to that, there was a lot happening as we started to see this ramp up in a little bit of the critical race theory content matter, starting to see Uh, gender issues starting to really become front and center, starting to hear teachers saying to the kids what they could and couldn't wear when they were on the screens with classrooms. They couldn't have certain materials on the walls and kind of just more putting their beliefs forward rather than understanding that they're supposed to have our kids to educate within certain curriculum, content, language arts, reading, math, Um, But the values, those kinds of things primarily needed to come from us and not have them be a place of of receiving criticism or argument from the teachers. And so we we started to really see that happening more and more. And I don't, I just add that I don't know if it happened in tandem. It feels in my memory like it was that about that same time our school district hired the first diversity, equity and inclusion director for a six figure salary, which was a new concept. I don't, I don't know if it was exactly in tandem, but you you had a COVID lockdown coupled with the George Floyd riots with this diversity, equity, inclusion person. Um, Conversations immediately started turning racial in focus at the same time. The kids are locked out of school. I, the way I describe it is it felt like a lot of darkness all at once, Uh, two separate issues, fighting and kind of came to a head at the same time. I, I sort of, I guess, divine in a way. It felt awful at the time, but I see it as kind of prophetic in a way now. <laughs> to the degree that you're comfortable, and and if this is a question that you're like, okay, we don't need to be answering this um, because I always want to respect young people's privacy. Mm-hmm. But was this something that your children were seeing? At what point did you feel like 
that you needed to bring them into this conversation or were they already picking up on those things and bringing them to you as well? I think on a, on some level, our daughter, who was the youngest at the time, recognized what was happening. Um, I don't know that she could verbalize it as uh, as articulately as she probably could now. Now she looks, yes, there were definite things that um, would have made her a little uh, uncomfortable, so to speak. Our sons for sure noticed. And the, um, the example I, I would give you when we we told them that we were thinking of moving when we told them that we're we're ready to pick up and go and we don't we don't know where <laughs> we're not really sure how this is going to look um we're thinking about you know Missouri is an option back my husband grew up here so we were this was an option that we were looking at and our middle son who actually was um he was affected in in ways still that I'm not positive he even grasps yet he has a smaller social circle of friends great friends but by having this happen, he was isolated from everything because he's not a, an avid big sports player. Um, he really fell apart his freshman year of high school. He really, and he acknowledges that now. Um, but when we told him, he's like, well, he goes, I mean, I guess it's okay to go there. It's at least there. I probably won't get as roasted for some of the things I say in class that come across as argumentative. So in other words, he recognized that maybe some conservative political leanings that he, opinions that he was sharing were not met well at all. And our oldest would hear some of the same comments, whether it was social media, whether it was in school, but those two knew they were kind of coming up against a different ideology. And while we encouraged, you know, just kind of live and let live, let people do their thing, but you you know what you believe and what we believe, that was not being returned to them. And so when our middle one was like, well, how's it going to get any worse? We might as well go. That's heartbreaking. This is your freshman year of high school. You should be, you know, looking forward to all the things that are coming. And when you kind of shrug it off, that's hard. I mean, that's hard. And and so that I, I do think they were aware on different planes of what was happening. Yeah, I, I was shocked at the fact that they they were as in that's her word and it's true, indifferent. They I, I don't think they necessarily wanted to leave their community and their friends. That was right. tough, but they didn't care a whit if they returned to their school building again. And it was just obvious in all three of them, really. I, I, was, I mean, it was stunning how apathetic they felt about it. The racial stuff, the CRT stuff had unbelievably, and that's not why we're here, but it had permeated our church at the exact same time. And so, you know, our kids picked up on that, that that was starting to come from our pulpit at that time. And so it just, it, the way I describe it is it felt like the whole community had become hijacked uh, with politics that weren't there even maybe two years ago, at least as prominent and in our faces. And so, yeah, the kids recognized it. Maybe they didn't, <laughs> they weren't prepared for the ripcord we pulled to get out of it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we all recognized it. And the other thing that I think our two oldest for sure saw, we had within two years of this time frame with COVID, there were four suicides in our community. One was an adult, three were kids. And one was a teacher, in fact. And while, of course, we do not have the exact ability to attribute it directly to everything that was happening, it sure wasn't being helped. And that's that's dark. That's dark when, you know, your community two times within a very short period goes to two funerals for two teenagers. That's that's hard. And that's that shows a lack of um, a leadership from not just the school, but the, the community leaders, the political leaders, the people that were the health board, the people that were making decisions. So 
we <laughs> we just kind of rolled in like a tornado and swung it around. Like we, you know, we we had a house and sold ours within a space of two months. Bought a house sight unseen and left. Wow, that's a, uh, like you said, that's a bit of a ripcord, right? <laughs> but very courageous. It takes a lot of courage to get up there and to pull those ripcords. So when you made the move to Missouri and then you made the choice for Christian education, what led you, besides the things that you've already talked about, mm-hmm. was there anything else specifically that moved you towards Christian education? And what have you seen has been the benefits of that for you as a family? So we, I guess, moving us towards the Christian education realm, the biggest thing I think that we wanted, along with what we were teaching the kids and how we were trying to raise them, was putting putting at least the youngest and the oldest by switching churches, moving churches as well, putting them in places that they could start to articulate what faith was about for them. Looking at things with less of a secular worldview and more of a biblical worldview, before we moved, we had picked out a school to move our daughter into. It was a startup school. It was about 10 kids. We knew it was going to be the craziest, biggest change we were going to make. But both of us and our daughter walked out of there feeling comfortable um, with the leadership uh, encouraged with the leadership, um, inspired in some ways, just thinking this is a whole different way to look at education because they were looking at who are you in Christ, not a statistic, not a test result, not, you know, what are your standardized tests going to look like, those kinds of things. And that is when in our heads we started to really think a little bit more about the people we wanted them to become and we wanted them to want um, what God sees in them versus who they are just as another kid in a district. And so that was that was probably the shift we made when we got here. Uh, our daughter said, I think I still want to try a Christian school. And it was it was her, it was it was her statement to me. <laughs> I thought, okay, well, if I have a kid saying this, then I'm I we have to just go with this. So Again, within a weekend, I had tours set up. We were coming in a week before school started here, and uh, we had her enrolled immediately. And again, being thrown into this world of, is the school a discipleship school? Is it an evangelical school? Is it just a private school with maybe a Christian focus, but not that's not the, the main piece? So we had, a lot, we had a lot to learn really, really fast, in addition to we've just moved you 1200 miles and so it was a, it was a lot and i think that that mentality of we are going to be wrapped in prayer as we do this made a huge difference and so that was another piece of coming into that christian school realm okay one of the points that you mentioned there and i um, think that's important to bring out because when we say christian education we want to be careful to be clear that That's not a label that is all encompassing in the terms of how it actually is applied in every particular school. Right. And so you can have definitely Christian education and Christian schools, but that's going to look very differently. The difference, for example, you mentioned of a discipleship school can have a very different approach. And even in terms of their admission policies, as opposed to a school that's made the decision to be evangelical Mm -hmm. and I don't think there's a right or wrong with that. I do think it's very important that parents understand the differences and how that's going to impact what happens with other students and families and all of that. 
So as you've been in this this realm here for a little while now, what are some of the challenges that you've faced in making this change? And and I'm asking the question also for the benefit of our listeners who Mm -hmm. are either thinking about making this change or they've maybe they're making this change for the first time and they're early on in the process. And I think it's always important to go in with your eyes wide open (laughs) and not expecting that you're going to walk into a Christian school. You're not walking into heaven, no, right? You're you're still walking into a place that's people Mm -hmm. and differences of even interpretation of what Christianity is and all of that. So what are some of the, the challenges that you face that you think that would be helpful for other people to factor in as they're making their decisions. You know, it's funny, just in that conversation you were having with Christine, uh, she sent me a headline today from the Kansas City Star, Kansas City Christian School lost donations after supporting LGBTQ rights, now it's closing. And I haven't gotten into the particulars of the story, but um, in answering your question, and that story is evidence of just because we, here's what we learned. Uh, just because a school says it's a Christian school doesn't mean it's where you need or want to be, or that it's um, <laughs> biblically sound, I guess, mm-hmm. for want of a better term. All Christian schools are not well, and you do have to remain vigilant. It is truly an investment. And I would just say, I think most parents who do this are of the mind. They want to change. They want a cultural change. You know, hopefully they want a, a, a biblical influence in their child's life. But if you're not in true partnership to watch what's going on and you really dive in and invest, you could easily just be enrolling your son or daughter in a milder version of where they just came from. And so it's uh, if you're going to do this, you really have to have a mindset that's different than you had before. And I will say that we had a mind uh, mindset shift in a way that uh, I don't think we anticipated. Christine and I were just doing a show ourselves talking about how we've really grown as Christians, and it's challenged us. Uh, we're certainly no uh, biblical scholars or theologians, and uh, Anna has our daughter Anna has learned at a clip on some facets of Scripture, for instance, that we're far behind her already, just <laughs> after a year and a half. And so there's lots we need to know, but uh, two parts, I would say. One, the challenges of eyes wide open, understanding what your values are, not being afraid of what you don't know, mm-hmm. not letting it hit you just because you don't know. I, I think a lot of people assume you you have to be, you know, straight out of seminary to walk into a Christian school sometimes. I don't, I don't think that's true. Be gentle with yourself. Be patient with yourself. Know why you're there. Mm-hmm. And then just keep your hand on the tiller. You know, you, you really do have to stay vigilant. I think but the other, uh, thing to ask or to be watching for too is ask how I would want to know how problems when they arise because they're going to, how are, how are they handled? What's the organizational structure of the school? Who's in charge of what? How, how do they approach problems? Where's the partnership quotient? You know, where is that at? And so I think that is something that I, I very, very quickly got a crash course in trying to ask all the questions that you you don't even know what you're supposed to be asking. You don't know what you're supposed to be looking for. But hearing the Christ-centered language was important. Um, taking a tour, going in, and, and again, we were doing this so fast, um, but taking the time to go in and really observe what's happening in the classrooms. Um, if if they don't want you in there to do that, I would, I would say that's probably that's kind flag. of a red flag <laughs> right there. There's, you know... I, as far as I'm concerned, 
they should want you in there. I know there are academic considerations as well for a lot of the schools, especially um, a lot of private schools do have a little bit of a rigorous academic approach. You know, so if there's tests to take, if there's things like that, that's that's fine. You know, one of the schools I was looking at that I think is a wonderful school in our area, it is more of a, a classical education mode. So as I was talking with somebody associated with that school, I was I I loved it. For me, it would have been wonderful. For my daughter, it wouldn't have been. She had just been out of school basically for, you know, almost two years. We had gaps we had to fill. And so that was not going to be the the way to look at things. So my my advice on top of what Chris said is, you know, knowing your kid, but asking how do you do things in the school? How do you approach academics? How do you approach, you know, outside of school time? What are your activities that you have? How do you encourage community? How do you encourage, how do you welcome new families? Because it's hard to walk in to a new place and well, and adjust and yeah, quickly. I'll also add as a third tier, what's the school expecting of you? Uh, I appreciated and approved very mm-hmm. highly of the fact that our daughter's school asked us, well, you know, to a degree, I mean, I don't mean um, in a really invasive way, but it was a concern of theirs that we were making sure our kids were in church, you know, that... Um, Pastor recommendations. Yeah, our like, background mattered to them and that we our were... Our faith story. That, that Those sorts of things were important to our school. They expected us to step up and bring something to the table. I appreciated feeling like they wanted our buy-in. That, that And I, I feel like if, if a school's not asking that of you, that, that probably also is a red flag. Mm-hmm. If that's what you're looking okay. for, I think maybe it's not what you want. You know, I, I think those are, I wanted to know there would be a faith statement. I wanted to know that it would be very clearly lined out um, what was going to be okay when it came to certain curricula and, and what wouldn't be okay. And again, that may not, that's not for everybody. I'm not saying it's all, it's like that bad thing. If that's what you want, that's fine. But I, I do think as a family, as a couple, with your or a parents, when you're looking, you've got to got to set down some priorities on what's most important. That really is a great lead in to one of the questions that I wanted to get your feedback on because we have an explosion of Christian schools of all types that are starting around the country, as well as a, an explosion in families who are choosing to home educate or to come up with some very creative and, and innovative hybrid models. And we see even more charter schools. And, mm-hmm. and I think that we will continue to see that with some of the school choice movement that's taking place at the the legislative levels. What are some of the things that you would say to school administrators and leaders? How can they best help families who are looking at whether they're making a switch from public to Christian education or whether they're just starting out with a kindergarten or first grader? What are some of the proactive steps that leadership at the schools can take to communicate effectively with parents what really goes on because and what the real beliefs are because there's there's the things that look great on the wall right but then there's okay but what happens in in real life in application so do you have any recommendations from your experience that administrators and leaders could take I, I will let her handle this entire answer because she's a, a teacher herself by <laughs> trade. So all I will say is, and I know Christine touched on this, it always seemed to me un, until the last few years like there genuinely was a partnership. It never it never occurred to me 
that there would be a dynamic where the parent wasn't welcome in the classroom or the parent wasn't welcome to have input or it was better that the parent not know or, uh, you know, we're even hearing now in news reports when it comes to sexuality issues. Hey, let's just keep that between us. Let's let's not bother. You know, so I will just say as, as a parent from the outside, what's alarming to me is that wall that's increasingly seeming to be built where. Uh, when we have possession of your children for eight hours, they're ours, and this is our universe, and you stay out. Um, I don't think it used to be that. I, I don't mean to speak for Christine. This is where she'll answer the question, but I would just say when she taught, I I never knew her to think of the kids she taught as uh, being possessions of hers that she controlled. I always felt like teachers, including my mm-hmm. mother who was a teacher, valued parental input and would never dream of usurping that. So having said that, <laughs> you, you answer, I don't know, how do you better communicate? Yeah, no, I, I I actually think just the open door policy. And I, again, we're looking at two schools. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll mention the one that we looked at in Pennsylvania and then the one that we actually ended up choosing. And both of them were very, very receptive to us as parents, but they were also very clear on, we are here to serve a bigger God than all of us. And so that was communicated from the beginning. Communication, I think, is very important. I think there have to be scenarios set up to continually work to introduce new families, new parents into the school system itself. So we attended um, like a new parent breakfast. There was a back to school night with new parents uh, section, basically, that you know, kind of went over some of the things that all the activities, the the things that we could be doing. Here's how you set up your lunch account. Here's how you do, you know, all these things that if you've started from kindergarten on up, you kind of take for granted because you're in with a lot of other kindergarten parents or first grade parents, you know, but when you're coming in as a seventh grade parent and everybody knows all the things and you don't, that's hard. So mentor families, assigning um, somebody to kind of walk along with you. I I got very, very lucky very quickly because we had a great admissions woman that basically gave me her her phone number and said, text me with whatever you need. I had not come across that before in in a school setting where the personal number was handed out. I'm not saying every school has the ability to do that. Ours was a little bit smaller. Knowing really that no question is too, is too unimportant. Like the, you know, the worst question is the one you don't ask, right? So having, that connection um, was important. A very knowledgeable staff was important. And I think schools need to work together to make sure that um, they're all projecting that image of or that same helpfulness, not an image, but they're actually being helpful that that they'll say, I don't know that answer, but I'm going to go ahead and connect you with someone that I think does know the answer. And then that follow up of was your question actually answered? Those are things that I know now are hugely important. I know this last summer, I had a phone number sent to me from admissions and they said, will you contact this parent? She has some questions. She's thinking about enrolling. I was one year in and I thought, well, there's a lot I don't know, but I also, I know what I do know. So I called her and we talked for about an hour on the phone. And I think opening up those relationships connect those connections to form those relationships is probably one of the most important things that a school can do in order to ensure the needs are being met. And then we have, you know, a very, I think you have to have a receptive counseling department. Our department is one person. <laughs> so okay, uh-huh. she's taking a lot, but 
you know, I had to contact her when we when we were realizing that the math was going to be a struggle. And there was a problem-solving approach right away that happened. You know, when I saw another issue arising, I was not only allowed but welcomed in to meet with two administrators right off the bat to just address the concerns. And, and in a way that felt inc- they were including me as a partner and I wasn't a burden or a problem. That's really, really important for parents because every new family you bring in, there's a, there's a potential for a dynamic shift and you want to make sure that your school mentality, your, your school culture is eyes focused on Jesus, that they, that there is that who are you in Christ mentality for us. That's what our, that's what our view was look, that's what we were looking for. And if I felt that shifting, I would be uncomfortable. So if that's, that's how they portrayed themselves, that's the way that they conducted themselves. And I think that's I think that's really important because you're now you're trusting them with their faith, like your children's development of your faith, not to be the only provider of it, but as a partner, you're giving them your money. That's a big that's a big piece of it too. And you know, I want I want all hands on deck for that. I want I definitely want to feel as if we're doing these things together along with our church given some great information there, and I'm going to pull some of that out. And I think that just some of those specific steps can make a huge difference for a family, not just in terms of choosing a school, but in having that be a successful entry and process. We're going to pause here, and we will pick up in next week's episode with the remainder of this fascinating interview with Chris and Christine Stegall. Make sure to check out their podcast, Making the Leap, and you can find the link to this and to learn more about them in the show notes for today's episode. If you haven't already, I encourage you to hit that subscribe button. You know, there's just one idea, insider resource that can make all the difference between good, better, and best. And in today's world, Christian educators can use all the resources and encouragement that they can get. Thank you so much for being with me today, and I look forward to sharing the remainder of this interview in next week's episode. Remember this, my friend, you have an impact that is immeasurable, eternal, and irreplaceable. Thank you for being with us today. For information on speaking engagements and resources for your school or family, visit the website key3educators.com. Remember, Learn yourself, love God, and live connected.